0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour... You'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living. We are so happy today to get to talk to the Lama Surya Das. We tried to get him in August and we're unable to make that happen, but he's back today. One of the foremost Western Buddhist meditation teachers and interpreters of Tibetan Buddhism who has taken a leading role in emerging American Buddhism. The Dalai Lama calls him the Western Lama. He is the author of the best-selling trilogy Awakening the Buddha Within, Awakening to the Sacred, and Awakening the Buddhist Heart, as well as Words of Wisdom, Buddha is as Buddha Does, Letting Go of the Person You Used to Be, Natural Radiance, The Big Questions, and his most recently released and the topic of today's discussion, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword. He's also the author of the CD, Chance to Awaken the Buddhist Heart, with Stephen Halpern, and the audio cassette, Tibetan Dream Yoga. The Lama has spent 35 years studying Zen, Vipassana, Yoga, Tibetan Buddhism with the great masters of Asia, including the Dalai Lama's own teachers. He's an authorized Lama, which means he's a priest and spiritual master teacher in the Ying Mapa School of Tibetan Buddhism, the Lama is the founder of both the Dogen Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and in several branches in other states. And with the Dalai Lama, he is the founder of the Western Buddhist Teachers Network. He's a sought-after speaker, active in interface dialogue and social activism, contributing editor to Body and Soul magazine, a regular writer for, of articles for other magazines and websites, as well as founder and board member of many Buddhist monasteries. He has been cited in numerous publications in major media, including ABC, CNN, MSNBC, NPR, The Boston Globe, Boston Herald, New York Post, San Francisco Chronicle, Los Angeles Times, The Jewish Free Press, and others. So we are very happy to get this opportunity to talk with him today. And I want to remind our listeners to call in or email me if you have questions you'd like to ask the Lama directly. Lama Surya Das, welcome again to Authentic Living. We're so happy that you are, have are giving of your time and energy today to talk with our listeners.
3: Thank you. It's my pleasure. And Authentic Living is what I'm all about.
2: Absolutely, so, absolutely.
3: So let's do it together.
2: Okay, so let's talk. I want to give just a sort of general, I know it's. It, we can't detail all the, uh, all of the Buddhist perspective, but I want to start off with just sort of a general perspective on the facts of life with regard to Buddhism. Can you give us just a brief overview of that?
3: Well, Buddha was a human teacher who lived 500 years before the time of Jesus Christ, and his followers became known as Buddhists. Buddha taught how to become enlightened, and the basic facts of life, that life as we know it, or the unenlightened life, worldly life, is difficult, is challenging, That we all grow old and die. So those are two of his first noble truths. The fact that life is difficult and also impermanence and mortality. And then he went on to say, but that's not the only kind of life. We could live an enlightened life, be in touch with the deathless, the timeless, to enlightenment, to waking up from the this, this, this slumber of illusion and confusion. So his third truth, his third fact of life, is that there is another life, the enlightened life, and anybody can participate in it, can become enlightened, not just. Only one begotten son of Buddha, anybody can, become enlightened, just as wise and loving and selfless and enlightened as the Buddha did. And then the fourth truth, the fourth fact of life, from Buddha's enlightened perspective, is what he called the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment, morality training, mindfulness or meditation and concentration training, second and third, wisdom and love training, the training in discrimination and selflessness So these three trainings of ethics, meditation, and loving wisdom comprise the Eightfold Path, Eight Steps to Enlightenment. And these are Buddha's facts of life. In other words, they're universals. You don't have to believe in them. Anybody can try it out, like scientific experiment. And if you can reproduce the experiment as Buddha did, you can replicate the results, enlightenment in yourself. So that was a radical war cry of spiritual awakening and awareness 2,500 years ago, breaking the caste system, for example, saying that anybody can become enlightened. Remember India had a caste system, mm-hmm. a very tight, hide-bound, immobile society. for Thousands of years, Who educated women. He was the first in history to do so. He was an early ecologist who advocated planting trees and protecting the waters. This is a very long time ago. He said that anybody could become enlightened, even the untouchables, even people who weren't Buddhist, and many have. So this is a very unusual approach to spirituality. And Buddhism is not something that you have to convert to or believe in. It's a, in Buddhism is nothing to believe in or no dogma to subscribe to, no creed, no conversion ceremony. There's nothing to believe in. There's everything to discover. Buddhism is about how we live and who we are and how we fit into the universe. So I found that very helpful to myself, to think about mortality and impermanence has helped me cherish life in all its forms, human and otherwise, and not to waste time, for example, which is life, not to squander time, which is life. Wasting time and squandering time is just deadening ourselves. So some of these um, facts of life have been very helpful for me, and I've written about that in my new book of spiritual talk, Dharma talks, called Mind is Mightier Than the Sword, about the superpowers. Of spiritual awareness.
2: Excellent. That was a uh, that was so clear, crystal clear. I'm 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 certain that our listeners really appreciate that clear definition of. Thank you. The Buddhist perspective. And I
3: do want to encourage people to email in their questions, then I can talk directly to, y'all.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So I want to talk first about you talk in the very early pages of your book about the power of nowness. So what do you mean by that?
3: Well. We're all so scattered. What we seek is right here. The problem is we're usually elsewhere. We're distracted. We're scattered. Our energy and focus is dissipated. For example, we feel like we don't have enough time, but where did all the time go in this time-starved era? It's not a problem of time. We have all the time we need. It's a problem of focus and awareness and prioritization. So. The teachings of enlightenment are about awakening now, not after we die and go to heaven or nirvana or some happy hunting ground or Valhalla. It's about now, the only place we can ever be anyway. It's about coming back to reality, to the now. now is a quality of being. We all know people who, we say, live in the past. We know what that means. In their memories, as if they've given up on life now, will live in their head Another way of saying people are not really connected to what's going on here in the heart, in the body and soul, and in interpersonal relationships, living in their head. How can we be more awake and alive now? It's about enlivenment, Andrea, not just enlightenment. That's why I like the title of it, this show, Authentic Living. This is not about Buddhism and more isms and schisms and divisions in this world. Virtuality and religion is supposed to bring people together, not drive them apart. It's about authentic living and living together, finding ourselves in each other together here, now. And through meditative awareness, through being more mindful, through cultivating mindfulness, which is the opposite of mindlessness, through cultivating mindful presence of mind, through paying attention intentionally, we become more aware and conscious instead of semi-consciously or unconsciously sleepwalking through life. And sleepwalking through life, we have all kinds of so-called accidents by sleeping at the wheel. Actually, there are no such things as accidents. They all have causes. sleeping at the wheel is one of them. And sleeping at the wheel of our life is another, or semi-consciously sleepwalking through life, wondering why bad things happen to good people. It's because we're not aware enough to cultivate the seeds of the good and the positive and in long-term, seeking short-term gratification, overlooking the long-term implications. So in the nowness, we can plan, we can remember, These are nowness activities. We are fully present and attentive. Practically speaking, it makes us better listeners, better communicators, better mates, parents or colleagues, employees or bosses also. So I think mindful awareness brings us tremendous gravitas or or significant presence. And this is what we're interested in, the nowness, how to really live now, not later, not when we retire, not when the kids go to college and give us some time to think. Not after we die and go to heaven or somewhere. Now, it's now or never, as always.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the things I'm thinking about as you were uh, talking there, Surya, was that if if we are present in the now, then we we're, we're, we tend to think in terms of uh, a resistance to that because we're looking for an external cure to the to our inability to stay present in the now, so that. The only way that I can have a life is when my kids get out of college and I can start spending my money on myself or whatever. So it has to be an external cure instead of an internal. Can you tell us a little bit about how we can begin to be present in the now? You said intentional. That's a good
3: question, Andrea, and that that's part of our uh, general way of thinking—an illusion, not just about this subject, but that there's something external that's keeping us from where we want to be, or what we want to do, or who we can be and become, like you said. When our, friend, when our kids go to college, then we'll have time. Or next summer, when we have summer vacation, then I'll, you know, whatever, exercise.
2: Right, right,
3: right. I mean, who knows how long we're going to be here. That's why Buddhas and universal wisdom's teachings and reminders about impermanence and mortality are so important to keep in the forefront of our consciousness, not morbidly thinking about death and worrying about it. We're realizing life is a gift, life is a miracle. Every morning, just waking up is a miracle. And look around ourselves at the many gifts we're given. See the the half of the glass, the three-quarters of the glass that's full, not just the half or the one-quarter that's empty. And this is very important, just how, how we can live more now. Take a breath and feel the energy in your body and in the spirit of infusing your soul. Even now, taking a breath, breathing, smiling, and relaxing, is a three-second instant meditation that can help us awake up and live a more enlivened way, enlivenment, which leads to enlightenment, have more aliveness in our lives. Of course, as a Buddhist practitioner, I practice meditating and yoga and chanting and praying for an hour or two every morning and sometimes at night. And I've been doing that for several decades, since I lived in India in the 70s and 80s and was a Buddhist monk in monasteries and ashrams. But we don't all have to do it that much. Just bring a little bit of awareness and mindfulness into everyday life. And if we can add, if we already have a spiritual practice, let's say in the mornings or at night before you go to bed, any time of day is fine. Enrich that with further uh, focus, concentration, intention. Everything depends on intention and motivation. Putting ourselves into it, being more aware at that time, not just doing it by rote. That can help bring the aliveness and the nowness.
2: Absolutely. Okay. And we're going to talk some more about this right after the break. We're talking today with the Lama Surya Das about his book, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword.
3: Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh
4: Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health metaphysics Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council.
0: Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: Hi, and welcome back to Authentic Living. We're talking today with the Lama Surya Das about his book, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword and um we talked in the last uh segment about the power of nowness and we talked a little bit about the buddhist perspective on the facts of life. Um i want to uh talk move on from there and talk a little bit more about a topic that you've said so beautifully poetically in the book about swooping down from above and climbing up from below. But before we do that, i think it might be more helpful to talk a little bit about what is spiritual intelligence. Can you can you answer that question?
3: Well, it depends on how you want to uh, define it, Andrea. But um, first of all, we're talking about not just religion, but the heart of it, the spirit of it, the spirituality. The, the, not just the institutions or groups, but the, the experience, the what animates us. Right. The light in your child's eyes, your dog's eyes, not your cats. Forget about cats. <laughs> and um, spiritual intelligence is a particular kind of intelligence kinds of intelligence have been studied lately. I'm sure we've all heard of of emotional intelligence, which is quite different than just intellectual intelligence, IQ. This EQ is more about interpersonal relations and feelings and intuition. There's other kinds of intelligence, too, though, spatial intelligence, mathematical intelligence, musical intelligence, uh, interpersonal intelligence. These have been well studied by Howard Gardner. Has written about this brilliantly existential intelligence about existence and that's where we get to spiritual intelligence in fact i asked howard gardner why he left out spiritual intelligence he said because it seems like it's included in existential intelligence and because he's not a believer Mm -hmm. in uh, god and, and those things but spiritual intelligence is that kind of spirit or consciousness not just mental heart and mind body and soul consciousness for example that intuits the whole, like more right-brain holistic thinking, that intuits the whole all at once, rather than left-brain rational analytical linear thinking that picks out the details one by one in linear sequence. Spiritual intelligence intuits, for example, our place in the world. And of course this can be developed, We but we, we can work on developing spiritual intelligence by looking into how things are connected and interconnected and interdependent and interwoven and how... We don't exist without, you know, how it takes a village to do anything, how, how we don't exist without parents, family, community, and so forth. So spiritual intelligence in, is a way of looking at how we fit into the world and the universe and our place and our, our relation to the higher power, or what I like to call it the common power, that which is greater than any of us, yet imminent or inherent in each of us, the common power, the higher power whatever words you use to call it.
2: I really like common pl- power. That's really Thank very... you. I've
3: developed that to help our Buddhist 12-step program friends who have a problem with the concept of God. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. But common power rather than higher power. Yeah. That which is greater than any of us, but in, inherent and imminent in each of us. By any other name, it's still as sweet. Yep. But spiritual intelligence is that which deals with usually the invisible rather than the visible realm, although not only... The immaterial rather than the material realm although not only. And there's no conflict between science and spirit. There's a big overlap, but they're not entirely the same. So spiritual intelligence is that deeper looking, the uh, deeper dimensions of things, things of the heart, of the intuition. By heart, I mean heart and soul, the soulful, caring awareness that we have, like um, empathy, feeling the other's pain of others and being moved. Is a spiritual thing, not just an emotional thing. Anger and desire are more emotional, action and reaction. This is a little deeper, a little more sensitive, resonating rather than just reacting. So, spiritual intelligence can be developed, and I advocate developing it. For example, by paying more attention to what we're doing while we're doing it, not being lost in multitasking. By being more introspective, not entirely introspective but not being so externally turned all the time. So looking inwards as well as outwards. Looking deeper into our relations. Not just looking at the other for blame or for answers. Not just looking at yourself either. No one can do it alone, but we all must participate. So spiritual intelligence deals with the whole as well as the part. Seeing the unity and diversity. Let me sum it up. And it's a very present function that we already have is not something some people have and some people don't maybe it's like a muscle that's flabby or atrophied from disuse but it doesn't mean we don't have it
2: absolutely,
3: okay just like we all have awareness and attention even though we may feel very scattered or attention deficit disordered, we still have attention it's a matter of how we use it and if we're trained to use it, and if we can concentrate and learn how to use it better so let's develop our spiritual intention, intelligence for a better world
2: Right, right. Okay, so that's something that we all have and can develop. It's common uh, to all
3: the world religions and philosophies and humanism. It's not just a religion. No isms and schisms in the world of spiritual evolution, spiritual consciousness development. Right. So it
2: doesn't depend on what what um, orientation you have. It just depends on your intention to develop it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what this show is all about: is to help our listeners to. Develop that dimension more, and in that same vein, we have received an email from someone who has written to us about the show, I believe, but the letter is in Japanese, and so I don't know how to answer it, and I'm wondering if you have a response to that.
3: I'll speak directly to them in Japanese. Okay. konichiwa Ogenki desu ka? Okawa, la das desu ego no sensei desu. Kyoto Daigaku. So I was just introducing myself. I lived in Japan for a year and studied Zen and taught English at college in the mid-70s. So you didn't tell me what the Japanese says, so I can't answer that. But I'm just going to wish them well. Since they're listening, they must be understanding English, as most people in Japan, many people do. Although uh, writing and speaking would be harder. And I'm going to give them, share with you all a haiku in Japanese. Whether you understand it or not, just listen to the onomatopoeic sounds, the greatest haiku by Basho about an old frog jumping into a pond and the sound of water plop. Furuakeya, kawazu Tobikomo Mizu no Oto. Thank you all. Nice to talk to you all in Japan. That's I love beautiful. the net. Bring us all closer together on the internet.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. This Internet is just one of those things we were talking during the break about how it's really helping us to understand oneness a little bit better. And I would say to um, the author of this email, if you would like to send it back in English so that I can ask your question directly, I will be happy to receive that and ask your question. Um, but thank you so much for that beautiful uh, poetic interlude there. That we... I still have a
3: lot of Japanese friends. I lived there for a year, and I know a lot of Zen Buddhists and other kind of friends, not all Buddhists, of
2: course. Okay, all right. Well, thank you so much for that. All right, so let's talk about a little bit about swooping down from above and climbing up, and we're, we have just a few more minutes before the break, but we'll at least get started. Tell us about that. We're 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 changing from above, and we're changing from below. What does that mean?
3: Yes. Well, first of all, the ancient wisdom is as above, so below. In other words, the macrocosm, or the biggest, highest, is reflected here. Quote below, heaven on earth, God in humanity, and so forth. So, in most spiritual paths, it's an understanding or an image of a path, you know, an ascending path to get, quote, higher, which really means deeper, but higher to some height to heaven. You know, we think of heaven as above and us below, although the two are inseparable, and we must usher into the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But the spiritual path is usually seen like some kind of path up the mountain or ladder or you know, souls ascending to heaven in the Renaissance kind of Italian school paintings and so on. The Buddhist understanding is more of one of uh, yin and yang inseparable, light and dark, inextricably mixed. And that oneself is the locus or the home of heaven and earth. That we are the bridge, our body, our soul, heart and mind are the bridge between heaven and earth. That we bring it through. That, that this Earth is like the altar, and we are like the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. let me translate the gods and goddesses walking on this beautiful, marvelous, miraculous altar of the Earth, even right now, that we are all Buddhas by nature, we only have to wake up and know who we want we truly are, to treat each other as we would like to be treated, as a good book says. So sweeping down from above with the biggest view or picture or outlook like of oneness, of totality, of non-duality, non-separateness swooping down from above even while climbing up, as it were, the spiritual path from below through relative linear sequential practices, developmental practices along the way according to our inclinations and capacities. Swooping while climbing, that's how we practice the Buddha's middle way with the biggest understanding of oneness or the unity of oneness and noneness beyond duality combined with meticulous attention to details Right now, to morality, to cause and effect, to what goes around, comes around, to karma, and so forth. So it's easy to explain it in this way, that every step of the way to heaven is the great way of awakening. Not just waiting to get there. Being here while getting there. Being there while getting there, Andrea. Right here and now. Being there while getting there. Right here and now. That's swooping down from above with the biggest view while paying attention to the minutest details right now in front of us that need to be taken care of step-by-step along the way.
2: Perfect. Okay. That was very clear. Thank you. And we're going to be back in just a moment with more from Lama Surya Das on The Mind is Mightier Than the Soul.
4: Uh, there you
1: go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
4: I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust, and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. The self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit... A-I-H-T dot Edu. All my love.
0: What can you tell me about Skills USA?
4: Skills USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have
3: teamwork, your resume is gonna look awesome. Well it's important to know your technical
2: skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. Skills.
1: Web at skillsusa.org.
4: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're back talking to the Lama Surya Das, about his book, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword. The show is brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology, the school built to help you fulfill your dreams, to help yourself and help your world. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about sort of the practical issues of spirituality and um, uh, um, working with the mind. And I've picked out a particular, uh, uh, what we call negative emotion, anger, to talk about, because I do get feedback from our listeners about anger and the difficulty of dealing with that, and I also see it as one of those things that we have the most conflict about because we tend to uh, internalize it, externalize it, do anything but really use it. So right. I want to talk about that just a little bit. What is anger? What Tell us about how we can use anger.
3: Well, I'm glad you brought it up, and also I like what you said about how we could use it, not just how we can get rid of it or how evil we are for having it so on. Um, anger is just an emotion. In other words, it's not an action, yet it's not necessarily destructive. It's not violence. It's not even hatred or rage. Anger is just an emotion, and in fact, we're supposed to, we're, we're wired to feel the emotions. That's part of emotional intelligence. For example, the positive side of anger, anger can show us, tell us what's wrong. We're supposed to have anger when somebody attacks us and the adrenaline flows or somebody else is being attacked and so forth. The question is, what do we do with it? Not what happens to us, but what do we do with it? That's the secret of intentional living, of enlightened living, of self-mastery. The wind's blowing, but how do we set our sails and navigate and use the rudder? That's the thing. We don't necessarily have to just be blown away by whatever direction the winds are blowing. So anger's an emotion, like others... And it's good if we are aware at the moment of its arising, if we can pay attention, if we can create through mindful awareness in the present moment, the feeling of anger, feel it in our body, recognize it, even label it to ourselves as anger, anger arising, note it. And then think twice, think three times, think four times before we react. So by creating this sacred space or sacred pause between stimulus, whatever provokes that anger, and response, we can avoid unwanted actions such as retaliating in kind, such as anger devolving into violence and destructiveness. Now one reason that anger is very important to mention is it's the most destructive of the, what you call the negative emotions or the conflicting emotions, destructive outwardly and inwardly. And that's why it's very uh, important to learn to deal with it. Unfortunately, I don't think we have any training for that in school. Absolutely not. And, and that's unfortunate. Yes. And we, so what I'm talking about, and I've written about this under the title of Mindful Anger Management, it's not mind control or brainwashing. It's not suppressing your anger or repressing it, stuffing it down, which just makes you sick, or it's like squashing a, a full balloon. It just bulges out somewhere else. That energy is best if released, and released a little at a time. What choose how to use it, as you said. Pablo Picasso saw the Spanish town of Guernica being bombed to bits by the Nazi Luftwaffe in the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. And instead of going out with a shotgun or a Uzi or whatever they had in those days and shooting people on a mad spree, he expressed his anger. He used it to fuel that marvelous piece of modern art called Guernica, that big picture that we've probably all seen very stark, black and white, on the walls of the Museum of Modern History and in every modern art book, all chopped up with pieces of horses' heads and people's feet and building roofs all thrown around uh, in, in a great chaotic tumult from the bombing. So that's an example of choosing how to respond rather than blindly reacting. He was angry. He, he uh, channeled it into his creative work. So sometimes I advise people just to Breathe and relax and, uh, you know, count to ten. That's good for children. It's hard to talk to children about meditation and concentration, but, you know, count to ten before you hit back Jeffrey. My Jewish grandmother told me when I was in first or second grade. That was very helpful. Of course, I rarely did it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's mindful anger management, creating a sacred pause through awareness, through mindfulness, between the stimulus that provokes the anger and the response. So we can intentionally choose how and if, to respond or when, or to respond later, or to channel it creatively into something else. Maybe you channel it into snow shoveling or gardening or, or vacuuming instead of into shouting back. For example, road rage. When people cut you off in traffic, before you stomp on the gas and ram them, count to ten and think a few times about the implications of ramming them. That's an example. And you know, most of us don't ram, but we do at other times. When somebody says something mean to us, we retaliate in kind, and this just fuels more of this uh, reactivity, these negative interactions. So we can learn through mindful anger management to respond intentionally and creatively, rather than just react often destructively. And this can be applied, friends, not just to anger, but to any of the difficult emotions that arise. If you feel desire or lust for food, a drink, a person, think a few times before
2: you respond. Right, and response uh, is so much different to me than reaction because response means that I'm taking some responsibility for what I'm thinking and feeling. Yes,
3: exactly, responsibility. Do you have the ability to respond or do you just blindly react, like animals blindly react? If you're in a doctor's office and he taps your knee with that little red little hammer, that's called a reaction. That's not a response. There's no intention there. Can we be more intentional and choose what kind of people we're going to be, what kind of lives we're going to lead? Because our choices and our intentions make our life. These choices and intentions make the actions that make our habits and patterns that create our karma and our destiny, our character. hmm
2: Okay, and, and what you're saying is that that same idea can be used with any other of the what we call negative emotions. Any
3: of the emotions that are arising, if we could have a moment of mindfulness and feel it in our body and think twice about it, we can recognize it or label it, we can respond quite differently and more fruitfully, less destructively.
2: Right, and one of the things that I've found is that if I'm not, if I'm just um, counting to ten, I can also, while I'm in that process, ask myself, what am I doing, what is going on inside me, why am I angry, what, you know, yes. so that I can really get to know what's going on, and then when I channel it, I'm channeling it authentically.
3: Well, that's the principle of authentic living, Andrea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Counting to ten sounds like a childlike exercise, but we could also, as you say, we could be analyzing how it's affecting us and why, for example, oh, there's that familiar reaction again, I could choose something different.
2: Right, right. You know, just
3: because somebody looks at you funny doesn't mean you have to react in that childlike way you did in, in, in fifth grade. <laughs> right. As an adult, you might make different choices if you're aware of that. Oh, there's that reaction again. Somebody, somebody, you know, looked at me funny. So what? Right. And who even knows what they're really thinking anyway? That's a more adult thought. The exactly. child just assumes and reacts. Right. You know, too much self-consciousness, not enough awareness
2: self-awareness okay so so part of what we're talking about in this process is listening to ourselves so you talk in the book about the art of true listening can you help us we have just a few more minutes before the break again but can you help us get a grip on what you mean by true listening
3: well some many first of all I often hear from women and this is a stereotype that men don't listen I hear from partners and mates that their mate doesn't listen I hear from parents that the children don't listen I hear from teachers that the students don't listen. I don't know. Maybe God is complaining that the people don't listen. I don't know. I haven't heard from her lately, <laughs> on that subject at least. But true listening is is a, an active, dynamic art. If we can be a little more present and aware and less caught up in our, ourselves, for example, and more interested, paying attention to the other, we're better listeners We'll have a more a rich silence. We'll, we'll be more um, open to receiving. It's a receptivity. Not just waiting to say what we've been waiting to uh, holding in mind and waiting to say. You know, there's a lot of people in meetings who don't even listen to what's being said. And as soon as they can, they interject what they've been planning to say, regardless of what's been said. So how can we listen better? How can we be more present and aware? That's the challenge. That's what we've been talking about all along. Cultivating... An objective clarity, just being present to what is, not to what we would like it to be or how we think it should be, to our interpretations and desires. Being more present to, quote, reality, to what is as it is. Clear seeing. In fact, this is the definition of Buddhism, of wisdom. Wisdom is clear seeing, seeing, seeing things just as they are, not as they ain't. It's not a theory about oneness or emptiness or the absolute totality. It's seeing things as they are, not as they ain't. That's why in meditation we practice on something that's very tangible and visible, like breathing, watching the in-breath coming in and feeling it, watching the out- observing the out-breath going out and feeling it, and letting go of all of our thoughts and feelings and distractions for the moment. So that we hone the concentration and awareness on the present moment with an object of attention that's undeniable, that's not speculative, or on a feeling. We're on a, a candle flame, something that's actually there. And that could train us to do all kinds of performance better. Sports trainers and, and um, athletes of all kinds know this. By really honing our concentration, we can get into the zone where, where, where it's almost like it's happening by itself. We, we lose self consciousness and we are, are aware. There's just total awareness. This comes through this kind of concentrative and
2: aware, mindfulness training. So we get to that place where it's effortless effort.
3: Effortless effort, and we're one with what we're doing. As they say, dance as if no one's watching, Mm -hmm. not dance Mm self-consciously.
2: Right, right.
3: And then we go through life that way, and it it leaves room for much more spontaneity and joyous freedom. A spirit is is, is joyful. It's ecstatic, not static. It's not about being stuck or, or quietist. It's about finding great peace, not just being quiet. Wonderful, wonderful.
2: Okay, well, we're going to be back with our last segment talking today with Lama Surya Das about his book, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword. Come back again for our last segment.
4: Awakened media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education... I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It was a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health metaphysics
0: taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond 7th Wave Network
1: you're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews we want to hear from you if you have a question or comment about today's show call in now, toll free 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at AndreaMatthewsLPC.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And we're at our final segment today, sad but true. Um, We're talking with Lama Surya Das about his book, The Mind is Mightier Than the Sword. And I want uh, you will, if you will, um, Surya, to tell our listeners about how they can get in touch with you, your website, and any projects you're working on right now.
3: Uh, my pleasure. You please um, look at my website: www.surya.org. That's S isn't Sam. U R Y A at syria.org. And that connects to my Buddhist centers, ogchen.org website, and my teaching schedule and chant room and pictures of many lamas and gurus and Dalai Lama and other Buddhist artists there. And there's a lot of interesting things there. Some of my um, spontaneous uh, Buddhist talks are there and all free for the pick. And we also send out weekly words of wisdom free if you sign up there for that. And then I'm also on Twitter. If you just search for Lama Suridas at twitter.com. You'll get my Twitter feeds. I send out words of wisdom every day. And I'm also on Facebook, and my students have there for me. Of course, I have books and tapes and videos. I also lead retreats and workshops around the country and in Europe every year, you know, every month, certainly. So um, please feel free to come along. And we have local meditation groups in different cities around the country. So if you look at my website, you'll find those things. And I invite you to... Come along if you're interested in us going down the path of enlightenment together, or should I say going up the path of enlightenment together, mm-hmm. onwards and inwards, as I love to say.
2: Down and up. Okay.
3: It's really it's really lovely being on this show. Also, I just want to say, Andrew, what a great and authentic experience this is and you know, a real example of a true higher education, spiritual intelligence and wisdom education.
2: Oh, thank and you so living. much. That means a, a tremendous amount coming Pleasure. to you. I appreciate that very much. Um, I want to. I want to. Um, we have just a short time in this segment, and I want to be sure to tell our listeners one thing: is that next week we're going to be talking um, about the same topic, but a little bit different. Uh, we're going to be talking to a relationship expert, Lisa Coffey, who's an author, radio host, and a guest of the Today Show. So, if relationship is your gig, don't miss that show. And I, I want to. I want the reason I wanted to go ahead and do that now is because. When we close out our show today, the Lama is going to do a chant for us, and I'm so excited that he's offered to do that for us, so we're going to all be able to participate in that. We have just a few more minutes before you start doing that, and I want to ask you a little bit about if you can help our listeners just briefly understand Dharma.
3: Well, the word Dharma means wisdom or teachings or doctrine or truth. It's an ancient Sanskrit language word, Sanskrit, the language of the gods in India. They call it the language of the gods, Devanagadi. It's a beautiful ancient language. And Dharma has a lot of meanings, but it really means a spirituality. So in Buddhism, we call the teachings the Dharma. In Hinduism, doing your duty is called the Dharma. Um, In Judaism, it would be called Torah, like living your life according to the good book, the Torah, the wisdom scriptures. The word dharma has about 20 or 25 etymological meanings. It's an ancient word, thousands of years old. One of the meanings is that which heals. Because spiritual wisdom is that panacea that heals what afflicts us, not just physically, but on all levels. Not unlike that life-giving water that Jesus is said to bring that alleviates thirst forever, not just temporarily. So dharma is that which heals spiritual wisdom and spiritual awakening helps heal our inner conflicts and afflictions, not just our physical, although spiritual healing is certainly part of it. But it also brings mental health as well as physical health, this dharma teaching and dharma practice going on this dharma path. So we get physical health as well as metaphysical health. That's why I always say that daily meditation and yoga is like mental
2: floss. (laughs) (laughs) Mental floss, I like it. Okay. So, okay, one more question. We, you've mentioned in the book, Taking Refuge, uh, it, uh you called a chapter, actually, Taking Refuge is Awakening Compassion. I want, that's sort of a paradox, again, that we re- take refuge in compassion because we think that compassion is something we're giving to someone else. I want to talk about that, that we because we tend to strive toward compassion instead of just being compassionate. Can you tell us a little bit about how we take refuge, awakening compassion?
3: Well, compassion is a quality, but I might just as well say take refuge in love or take refuge in loving kindness, take refuge in good actions. Taking refuge is a Buddhist concept. Buddha taught us to take refuge in the facts of life rather than in, in illusions. So it means rely on, okay. like finding a, a safe port in a storm taking sanctuary at the embassy or something like that, or in a church where the uh, evildoers or pursuers can't reach you. So it means rely on or find refuge. So these qualities can be cultivated, but they can also be used to rely on or to, like, as a refuge. For example, if you're an angry person, you might try to take refuge in um, one-pointedness or in stillness, in concentration to, to uh, release the tension. If you're a jealous person, you might take refuge in the quality of rejoicing in the good fortune of others. kvelling as we say in Yiddish. Rejoicing in the good fortune of others as an antidote to jealousy and covetousness. Just like we rejoice when our children get ahead. It's not just that we're proud of them because we're egotists. We're reveling in their success. We're so glad they have the success. We're not jealous of them. So these qualities are the things we can take refuge in, we can take refuge in compassionate action. And by the way, compassion is not just directed to others. Compassion can be directed to yourself. Thank you. By cutting yourself some slack. Just like mm-hmm. love is not just directed to others or to prince or princess charming. How can we love others, Andrea, if we don't love ourselves?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I, I, I can understand that completely, and I hope our listeners do, too, you have been so very helpful to us today, and and kind for coming on the show, and we really, really appreciate your being here.
3: Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure. Time goes fast. Have you are having a good time, though. Absolutely,
2: it does. It does. Okay. Well, I want to give you a little bit of time to to start that chant. Um, uh, we have just a few uh, minutes before we're we're out today. And I want to give you just a little bit of time to ta- start that chant, and um, we'll just go with it. We'll close out the the show with that way. Okay.
3: Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you all. And God bless, Buddha bless. Njantro Sancho Krimpochi Maky Panam Keguchipa Nampa Mepaya. May all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do. May all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace and harmony in this world. And throughout all possible dimensions of existence and an end to war injustice poverty oppression and violence and may we all together complete the spiritual journey all the way to enlightenment heaven nirvana <laughs>
1: Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
0: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit seventhwave.network.com. thwavenetworkcom